Hey friends, M. Faring here. I'm so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope you are able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hello again, my OOB tears. As always, we have a lot to cover today, so let's get right to it, shall we? As it's been a while since we left off in our studies of the books of Genesis and Job, I felt it would be helpful for all of us, yes, myself included, <laughs> to hear an overview of where we have been. A brief summary is found in the Seamless Study by Angie Smith, and it begins, In the beginning God created, and Adam and Eve made a mess of things. Just as quickly as sin showed up, God went into action, providing a way. Humanity became even worse, so God sent a great flood to wipe them all out. Only the family of Noah was saved. Along came Job, who loved the Lord. He was tested by Satan, but ultimately continued to trust in God. The people then decided to build a tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. So God scattered them all and confused their languages. God called Abram to a new land, then gave him and his wife Sarai the crazy promise of a son. But they took things in their own hands and made a mess. God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah to remind them of his promise, and then Isaac was born. God asked he be made a sacrifice, but then provided another way. Phew, that is a lot happening in just a few short sentences, which actually represent 24 chapters from the book of Genesis, plus the 42 chapters found in the book of Job, and a year of studies on the OOBT podcast. So please do not feel at all lost or behind if some or even none of that sounds at all familiar to you. Truthfully, no worries if any or all sounded unfamiliar, because we can always go back and take time and listen or re-listen to any of the previous OOBT episodes. Can I just pause for a moment here to say something oh so very true that we all, yep, myself included again, need to hear. No matter when or where we show up to study God's Word, we are always right on time. Trust me when I say there is no such thing as being behind. Anytime we read or hear scripture is definitely time well spent, no matter when it is. The bottom line here is that we all miss days in studying. But let's not give up, my friends. Let's all ask God to continue helping us carve out time in our days, no matter what time that may be, today, tomorrow, and the next day. He wants time with us and has so many good things to show us, I promise. Okay, so back to our overview as we pick up in Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 18. As I've already mentioned many times before when it comes to any lineage listings in scriptures, I am once again going to take a pass at reading, aka butchering the pronunciation, of these names in an effort to save us some time in today's episode, plus save me the certain humiliation that comes with mispronouncing names and places in the Bible. (laughs) With that said, though, let me say this with 100% sincerity. Please be sure to read these verses for yourself. Let your eyes fall on each name. As we discussed in our last episode of OOBT, these people like us were called to various things in their lives by our Father God, who then used their obedience in moving his story forward. Let that sink in for a moment, shall we? While we don't know the specifics of their stories, of their obedience, what we do know is that God chose to honor their lives by including each name on the pages of Scripture. God knows each story and cares deeply for each person mentioned. The inclusion of these names is such a valuable reminder that ordinary people and ordinary actions matter to God. 
They show God's grace in using imperfect people to accomplish His purposes. Genealogies serve as a great reminder in showing us how God fulfills His promises to His family, His children. Moving on, we also see in those first few verses of chapter 25 the death of Abraham at 175 years old. How about we camp here for a bit before we move on in chapter 25? Maybe it has something to do with my recent loss of my dad last November, but it seemed these words from verse 8 about Abraham jumped off the page at me. Abraham breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. Oh, my heart. For some reason, the words breathed his last made me think of a deep inhale and exhale, as if he knew it would be the last here on earth and didn't want to forget it. No matter how it went, though, I am also left wondering just how you sum up a life of 175 years, most of which were spent following God. In a way, this brings us back nearly full circle to our talk about the names found in lineage listings. As a way to hopefully clarify for you the thoughts I have in my head right now, listen to these excerpts from Beth Moore's Patriarch study, as she seems to be thinking some similar thoughts when she says, No man is worthy of our worship, but some people are worthy of high esteem. Abraham is one of those. If man had written scripture without divine inspiration, he would have made himself look good. However, God in his infinite wisdom made sure we saw weaknesses, frailties, and failures of those who walked with him. God's approach guards our hearts and gives us hope. Maybe you and I haven't been terribly impressed with Abraham because we allowed several serious failures to characterize a century-long walk with God. I've had an active relationship with God for 35 years, I'd be heartbroken for someone to characterize my entire relationship with him based on several ugly seasons. Wouldn't you? Whether or not we've been impressed with Abraham, I'd like to suggest that God has been. Want proof? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Read the recap of Abraham's life like an obituary. Glance over the chapter and make a mental note of all the names mentioned in what is commonly called the Hebrews Hall of Faith. While each name is impressive, most of them are recognized briefly. A stunning 12 verses are dedicated to Abraham's faith. With that in mind, let's try to think of an area of Abraham's life that remained unchallenged in his faith walk. He left his home, his extended family, and his occupation. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. No man enjoys the out-of-control feeling of not knowing where he's going. Abraham's faith was tested in his marriage and so drastically in his parenting that I'm not sure I could have survived it. How about you? Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16 relate that Abraham may never have felt at home in Canaan. Something kept him longing for a better country. God has little intention of allowing his faithful followers to get too comfortable here. Abraham may never have been quite sure he actually fulfilled his destiny. We too often spiritualize the people God used mightily in his word. As a result, we shrink back from our own callings. We picture New Testament people such as John, Peter, and Paul as spiritual giants who felt like spiritual giants. At this point in my life and ministry, I am far more likely to picture them as insecure and unsure, scrambling at times to figure out what they were supposed to do next and wondering all the while if they were going to get anything right. How amazed each of them must have been to realize in heaven that they, former flesh and blood, weak in their natural selves, have fulfilled their callings faithfully enough to receive a well done. They may have tripped and wobbled along in their race, but they made it across the finish line having done what they were called to do. We often think receiving what we've been promised ought to be a cakewalk, but Scripture shows that opposite is very true. The most profound things God promised were often fulfilled against the greatest odds and through the most difficult hardships. To God, faith is often the point. 
God does nothing cheaply. Perhaps the divine nature of a promise fulfilled guarantees its expense. We may receive a hundred unexpected things from God with delightful ease, while the fulfillment of some of the things we believe He promised prove virtually impossible. You see, the impossibility is what makes fulfillment of the promises fall under the God category. God makes promises man simply can't keep. Oh, friends, God is a promise keeper. Amazing, am I right? Okay, so before we begin reading our verses for today's episode, I just have to pause for a moment to point out what may or may not be obvious to all of us yet. Friends, can you believe we are right at halfway through the book of Genesis? Wow, just wow. I hope you've already learned many things along the way. And with that in mind, let's keep at it by opening our Bibles together right now, shall we? By beginning with the births of Esau and Jacob in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 25 from the New Living Translation. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? she asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, First, you must swear your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn son to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Goodness gracious, there's so much going on here in just a few verses. How about we begin our studies with these thoughts from the Jesus Bible about Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. It reads, What a scandalous claim. In the original reader's culture, the claim that an older brother would serve a younger brother was outrageous and disgraceful. But in God's dealings with people, this sort of role reversal is just the opposite. It is a work of grace. Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Grace turns a natural order of things on their head. Time and again throughout the book of Genesis, the headlines to these narratives seem shocking to their original audience. Perhaps in the mind of the modern reader, this wonder is lost, but the implications for Christians are gigantic. God seeks to restore worshipers to Himself by graciously pouring His favor upon them. Consider the following headlines in light of God's scandalous grace. God gave animal skins to Adam and Eve instead of retribution. Adam and Eve deserved death for their rebellion, but God gave them grace instead. Abel gained favor with God over Cain. In another example of the younger sibling receiving the grace of God, Abel was granted God's favor because he brought a simple sacrifice out of faith, while Cain only revealed his sinful heart in the encounter. God spared a flawed man and his family by means of an ark. 
it will be easy to skim over and avoid Genesis chapter 9, verses 20-27 through 27, due to its awkward and uncomfortable content. It serves as a contradiction to the man who the writer first introduced as having found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The fact remains that Noah's favor with God was not because he was or would always be a perfect man. Abraham received a unilateral covenant from God. The ramifications of God's pledge to Abram in Genesis 15 are vast. From this fountainhead, the rest of scriptures pour out. But the history of this blessed man was far from pristine. Joshua wrote that Abram's father worshipped other gods, as found in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, and Abram lied to protect himself. God's grace turns Abram into the father of many nations and a source of everlasting blessing to the whole world. Every narrative of the book of Genesis is covered in the fingerprints of grace. All these upheavals and role reversals are the handiwork of a gracious God who pours out His favor in order to bring maximum glory to Himself. The Bible recap offers this overview of Genesis chapter 25. So we read that Isaac got married at 40. He and Rebekah had their first child when he was 60. This actually all happened 15 years before Abraham died, but sometimes Genesis gives us those weird flash-forward moments, so just bear with it. Anyway, Rebecca was barren for 20 years, but Isaac knows the God who grants life, so he intercedes on behalf of Rebecca, and God answers his prayer with a yes. Sometimes God answers with a no, but all of God's answers to our prayers, whether yes, no, or wait, serve to establish his very good plans. In this instance, in order for God to fulfill his promise of many offspring to Abraham and Isaac, God would have to open Rebecca's womb, and he did. Rebecca became pregnant with twins. I wonder if these were the very first twins ever. Rebecca had a lot of questions about what was happening, and I love that she took her questions to God, and he answered her. God's answer was kind of perplexing, though, because he basically told her that his plan for these two children would go against the cultural norms of their day. The older son would not take prominence, instead the younger son would rule. This would be kind of like if Prince Charles died and the whole throne passed straight on from Queen Elizabeth to Prince Harry, skipping over all of Prince William and his kids. Then, through a whole tangled mess of sin, God accomplished His purposes to that end. We saw part of that unfolding today, and we'll see the rest tomorrow. The part we saw today was where Esau's impatience and Jacob's scheming added up to a transferred birthright, which is a thing bestowed on the firstborn, signaling inheritance and prominence. Using a bowl of stew, God kind of flipped the script here. I relate to Esau a lot here. If you want to see me sin, wait for me to get tired and hungry. Give me a string of nights where I've only had a couple hours of sleep and all my wisdom goes out the window. I would be wise to remember Esau's life. Also, this promise for the younger child, I want to point out that this isn't just a one-off situation as far as God is concerned. This has actually started to be a bit of a theme he establishes in Scripture. Let me point out a few other times this has happened so far. The offering of Abel, the younger child, was accepted, while Cain, the firstborn, was not. Isaac, Abraham's second son, got the promises that normally would have gone to Ishmael. And then it happens again here with Jacob and Esau. Here's my take on what this is showing us. There are a few places in Scripture that establish Jesus as our older brother. Romans 8 says he is the firstborn among many brothers. And if he is the firstborn and we're the younger brothers and sisters, then he should get all the inheritance. But guess what? He shares. We know this because Roman 8 also tells us that we share in his inheritance. Now, I'm moving on to lean into Genesis chapter 25, verse 34. Listen to this devotional titled, Avoid the Terrible Trade, in First Five's Genesis study. Genesis chapter 25, verse 34, in the New International Version. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. 
He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The terrible trade is one we've all made. But I have good news today. Unlike Esau in Genesis 25, you have a second chance today to make a better choice. What will you choose? A short-term fix or a long-term legacy? A bowl of beans worth pennies or a birthright that is priceless? If you aren't familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau, that last choice seems a bit odd. So let me back up. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. One day Esau was out hunting while Jacob was at home cooking some bean stew. Esau came in famished and immediately wanted some stew. Jacob offers his brother a bowl of his bean stew in exchange for his birthright. As the older twin, the birthright was not only worth a lot of money, but it also represented a priceless place of honor. In a shocking moment, Esau makes a terrible trade. Why in the world did he do this? We could process this story for days and come up with several answers. Jacob was tricky and was the wrong person for Esau to talk to in a moment of utter desperation. Esau was careless with something incredibly priceless. Esau let himself get to a place of utter desperation without having a plan for provision. Yes, there are many things that we could examine about Esau, but I think a smarter takeaway might come from us examining ourselves. We've all got a bowl of beans coming our way today, scrolling through social media rather than digging into God's Word, finding time to pose for selfies but not kneel in prayer, setting a timer to ensure we don't miss a TV show but not an alarm clock to get us up for Sunday morning church, finding white space for Instagram and Facebook but not face-to-face conversations with real people, giving up God's design for intimacy for cheap pleasures the world promotes. And we never know how much these bowls of beans are really costing us. Oh, dear friend, hear my heart of compassion and not condemnation. I'm right there with you having made bad trades too. But let's now be aware of what a snare today's compromises really are. Let me be the friend who doesn't appear in Esau's story. Let me intervene before a bowl of beans comes your way today and say, don't give up what you want long-term for what feels good short-term. Avoid the terrible trade. Definitely a thought-provoking perspective for all of us to consider, right, my friends? Moving on. Let's read Genesis chapter 26 from the New Living Translation. Isaac deceives Abimelech. A severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She is obviously your wife. Why did you say to me she is my sister? Because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us? Abimelech exclaimed. One of my peoples might have easily taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of great sin. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. Conflict over water rights. When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. 
He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants, that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley, where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in, after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. Isaac's servants also dug in Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Esek, which means argument. Isaac's men dug another well, but again there was a dispute. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning the one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it, so Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said, At last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. From there Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug another well. Isaac's Covenant with Abimelech One day King Abimelech came from Gerar with his advisor Asuza and also his army commander. Why have you come here? Isaac asked. You obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. They replied, We can plainly see that the Lord is with you, so we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us, just as we have never troubled you. We have always treated you well, and we sent you away from us in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty, and they ate and drank together. Early the next morning, they each took a Solomon oath not to interfere with each other. Then Isaac sent them home again, and they left him in peace. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug. We found water, they exclaimed. So Isaac named the well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is also called Beersheba, which means well of the oath. At the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite women, Judith, the daughter of Bari, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon. But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Oh, friends, can you even imagine the horror and disbelief Rebekah felt in that life-altering moment, and then in the days and weeks and months to come after Isaac chose, like his father Abraham had with his mother Sarah, to escape a possible death sentence from King Abimelech by claiming his wife was his sister? I have no words. Listen into this perspective about what we see happening here in the first five Genesis study titled, Let Faith Not Fear Rule Your Heart. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree came alive in the life of Abraham and his son Isaac. Isaac found himself in quite a dilemma. He feared his enemies would kill him to gain access to his wife. Years before, Abraham and Sarah, also known as Abram and Sarai before God changed their names, found themselves in the same predicament. Abraham's solution? Lie. He instructed his wife Sarah to say that she was his sister. What's so unbelievable is that Abraham, often called the father of our faith, engaged in this trickery not once, but twice. In today's reading, Isaac feared his enemies would kill him to get his beautiful wife Rebekah, so he resorted to his father's tactics. Isaac lied, passing his wife off as his sister, selling her to a foreign king to protect his life. What would lead God's favored ones to such a desperate act? 
I believe it's lack of faith. Both father and son feared for their lives and failed to trust God in the midst of that fear. It wasn't just a lying that was sinful. It was also allowing fear, not faith, to rule in their hearts. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Perhaps they had not spent time with God listening for his voice. Time with God girds us for battle. It prepares us. So when fear attacked, they were unarmed and unprepared. When we fail to trust God and give in to fear, oftentimes we cause those we love more pain and suffering than we cause ourselves. I think about Rebecca. What it must have been like for her to be taken away from her husband and placed into a harem, subject to the whims and pleasures of a pagan king. How humiliating it must have been to be the object of his lust. Sin is a poison that infects us and those around us, no matter our intentions. Oh, goodness. Not only is Isaac and Rebecca's predicament here heartbreaking, it is even more concerning to think that we too, in our own sin, may have others in our lives who are hurting, no matter our intentions. Father God, we ask that you would convict and humble our hearts of any scenarios this may be true. Help us to seek forgiveness from you and the person or the persons our sin affected. We pray healing and restoration in those relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, my friends, but sometimes I find myself too quick to be horrified or frustrated by stories and situations we come across in the Bible. However, I'm also learning that we must be quick to instead turn those thoughts to self-reflection to see how we can apply lessons learned from these Bible characters to our own lives. Hard but good. Continuing on, Genesis chapter 27 reads, Jacob steals Esau's blessing. One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son? Yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country, done some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so we can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get those goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, It's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau. 
So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob, because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, Now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and blessed his son. He said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of the heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, Sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? Esau replied, It's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it, and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, Your brother was here, and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, No wonder his name is Jacob, for he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as a firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him abundance of grain and wine. What is left to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, But do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Jacob flees to Badan Haram. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because her father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plans, so she sent for Jacob and told him, Listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready to flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off, and when he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. Wow, this is just one more instance in our study time today that has me at a loss as to where to begin. Because there's just so much happening here between Esau, Jacob, Isaac, and Rebekah. So how about we just pick a place and begin with this devotional title, The Power of the H-Word, from First Five's Genesis study. Genesis chapter 27, verse 41 in the NIV. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, and he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Isaac is old and his eyesight is failing. As he prepares to die, he calls for Esau to come to his bedside. Keeping in line with Hebrew custom, Isaac was ready to offer his blessing to his oldest son. Rebekah favored her younger son Jacob and desired for him to receive the double portion. Jacob stood to receive a blessing 
but not a greater blessing of the firstborn. Rebecca encouraged Jacob to dress like Esau to cheat his dying father into giving him the firstborn blessing. He did, and it worked. Our key scripture tells us Esau held a grudge, which is understandable, but it's more than just an annoyance. The word hate is used in other translations to describe Esau's feelings. Hate is defined as cherished animosity. From within this cherished animosity, a desire to murder arose. Esau wanted to take Jacob's life. Esau schemed and planned, consumed with hate. Sadly, hate stole from Esau, probably more than his double portion taken by Jacob. It stole his peace, sound mind, and joy. Holding on to hate is never worth the high price we pay. Maybe you're thinking, but you don't know what she did. You have no idea the pain I've endured because of them. You are right. I don't know the pain, but Jesus does. Jesus was fully man, separated from his Father, who bore physical, mental, and emotional pain. He took upon him the sin of the entire world, yet said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Phew, how's that first perspective? The reminder of Jesus' words on the cross. His example of forgiving others. Oh my. Okay, friends. I came across this research called The Promise One, seeing Jesus in Genesis, that I believe will not only help us tie together today's studies in Genesis chapters 25 through 27, but also provide some interesting insights to consider as we begin to wrap up this episode of OOBT. The section titled Grasping His Brother's Heel begins. Jacob's life began with a struggle in more ways than one. First, we see his mother's struggle to become pregnant, which took 20 years. Now, no pregnancy is easy, and certainly no pregnancy with twins is easy, but it seems Rebecca's pregnancy with twins was especially tumultuous. Genesis 25 says the children struggled together within her, verse 22, and so she went to the Lord, asking why this was happening. God said, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The younger one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. This warfare in her womb would have far-reaching results. Without explanation or apology, God informed Rebekah that his plans and purposes for these boys and the nations that they would each father had been set and would not run along the lines of cultural convention or natural order. The younger one would be the one through whom the promised one would come. When Rebekah finally gave birth, out first came the furry, fiery, red-headed Esau, whose foot was firmly in the grasp of his twin brother Jacob, whose name means heel-grabber or cheater. These two boys were opposite to the extreme, and mom and dad each had a favorite. Picture the family Christmas card photo when the boys are 9 or 10. Isaac, his arm around Esau with his unkempt head of red hair, dirt behind his ears, a bow and arrow on his back, and holding the severed head of his latest conquest. Then there's Rebecca with her arm around the son she adores, Jacob, who is obviously less adventurous, perhaps more calm and calculating. This is not exactly the perfect family whose annual holiday letter will leave us envious. This family is deeply divided, and life is difficult in their tent. Over the years, Isaac became blind physically, but perhaps even blinder spiritually. God had made it clear that Jacob, the younger, would be the son of the promise instead of Esau, just as Isaac, the younger son of Abraham, was the son of the promise instead of the older Ishmael. But that went against what Isaac wanted, and he preferred to ignore it. He hoped to overrule it. And Jacob, not trusting to God to provide it, schemed and deceived to take it. One day Esau showed up at the family tent, famished from his latest hunting trip, and Jacob was ready for him ready to pounce on his brother's moment of weakness. He's living up to his name, grabbing for what he can get. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 31 through 34, it reads, Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is the birthright to me? 
Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What is happening here? What is a birthright? The firstborn received twice as much property as each of the other sons in the family. And more importantly, the firstborn became the head of his family. With the birthright taken from Esau by trickery, Jacob was legally considered the firstborn. Refusing to trust that God would bring about what he had promised when he said, The older will serve the younger. Jacob took it into his own hands to wrest the place of prominence and blessing in his family. Jacob wanted the right things. His desire was for the blessing of being in the line of the promised one. He wanted to inherit everything that God had promised to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. But there was no sign that he wanted God. There was no reaching out for God, but only grabbing for God's blessings. The fact that Jacob manipulated Esau to sell him his birthright must have become a long-standing source of irritation to Isaac as he grew older, matched only by Rebekah's constant reminders of which son had been chosen by God. Somewhere along the way, Isaac had stopped listening to God. Now he seemed to listen only to his appetites and preferences. About to die, he wanted to make sure his favorite son had the blessing of the firstborn. So he called Esau and told him to go hunt for some game, make him a big meal, and bring it to him so he could bless him. Perhaps old man Isaac, with his poor eyesight, had also begun to talk with the volume of one whose hearing was fading. Or perhaps it was just the thin walls of tent living. But however it happened, Rebecca overheard Isaac making plans to give Esau the blessing that should have been reserved for Jacob, and she went into high gear. When she suggested to Jacob that he cook up goat meat to taste like game stew and put on some goat skins to feel similar to Harry Esau, Jacob was afraid. It wasn't that he was offended morally by this suggested deception, as he should have been. He was just afraid that he would be found out and that his efforts to secure the blessing he so longed for from his father would backfire. He was afraid that if found out, his father would curse him rather than bless him. In fact, Jacob had longed to hear words of blessing from his father his whole life. Instead, Isaac seemed to have words of genuine blessing and affirmation only for Esau. There's a real void in Jacob's life and in his heart. Just once he wanted to feel his father's loving touch and hear him speak to him about his future the way that came so naturally when Isaac talked to Esau. So he butchered the goats, cooked up the stew, and put on the goatskins. If you had longed to hear words of encouragement, affirmation, and approval from your dad and mom your whole life, but have heard only criticism or comparison, then you know how Jacob felt. You know the empty place in his heart, which he did not trust God to fill, but took into his own hands to fill. Jacob played the part of Esau, smelly stew fixer, with gusto. Isaac blessed Jacob, but the joy of giving up such a fervent blessing was short-lived. The real Esau returned with genuinely gamey stew, asking for his father's blessing. We read that Isaac trembled very violently in verse 33. This was not quaking with anger as we might expect, or an eruption of fury. This was a trembling before God, a recognition that his attempt to thwart the plan of God had been overruled. And now, even though his beloved Esau begged for the blessing with tears, Isaac said the blessing he had given to Jacob would not be withdrawn. Esau too received a word from his father, but it was more anti-blessing than blessing. Instead of dew and fatness Jacob was promised, Esau will live away from that blessing. Instead of nations bowing down to him, he will live always fighting against other nations. And instead of lording it over his brother, he will bow down to his brother. What an insult. We understand when we read now Esau hated Jacob. We feel the insult along with Esau. As we see that this family, the family from which the promised one is going to come, is really a mess. Everyone in this family sought the blessing of God without bending the knee to God. 
But we also see our gracious God at work in the midst of this family and their failures. In spite of Isaac's opposition and Rebekah's manipulation, Jacob's deceitful imitation and Esau's indifference, God's word will be accomplished. Have you thought that perhaps God had a plan for your life, but that you ruined it by your resistance, your crafty manipulation, your deceitfulness, or casual indifference? Can you see that nothing can hinder God's plan for your life, not your stubbornness, or your self-centeredness, or your scheming? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And we are all faithless, aren't we? The good news is that our lives and our futures are not determined by our faithlessness to God, but by the faithfulness of God. Genesis said that Esau comforted himself by planning to kill Jacob. We'd like to respond to that with unfamiliar horror, but we recognize this method of self-comforting, don't we? Maybe we're not plotting murder, but we certainly comfort ourselves with visions of how we might murder the reputation of someone who has hurt us, or by how we'll relate our own version of the story. We comfort ourselves with planning how we'll cut the person down to size with our cunning words and unanswerable arguments. Rather than seeking healing for the wound through forgiveness, we nurture the offense by plotting how we will make that person regret what he or she has done. Esau's simmering rage made life dangerous for Jacob, and so he had to go. Rebekah sent him off toward her family in Haran alone, and certainly afraid that his brother might murderously chase after him. Worn out from the struggle, he came to the city called Luz and settled for a rock as a pillow and went to sleep. He was not looking for God, yet God, in grace, came to Jacob that night in a dream. Okay, friends, so just know there'll be much more about that last part I just read, referencing God meeting Jacob in a dream. Guess that's a teaser of sorts for our next episode. (laughs) So as we close our time together today, I can't help but keep coming back to the thoughts about how we are seeing over and over again the promises of God play out in the lives of those we are studying from these thin, crinkly pages. Day after day, week after week, month after month. Promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so many others. With God's promises and even His faithfulness in fulfilling those promises in our mind, please join me as we pray these lyrics from Promises by Maverick City Music together. As I've listened to these words in this song, they have settled in my heart and mind as a valuable truth while we read through the book of Genesis. Plus, are also valuable in considering the ways in which the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of M, is the God of each of you and your stories as well. So touching, and even more important for us to not only grasp, but to wholeheartedly cling to in good times and bad, especially the bad, the hard. Am I right, my friends? The promises song in our time of prayer today begins. God of Abraham, God of covenant and of faithful promises, time and again you have proven you will do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn that when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. God, from age to age, though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. I put my hope and my faith in Jesus, 
my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation, he'll never let me down. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the truths found in the words of this worship song. Help them settle in our hearts and minds so we can recall them when we need reminded of your faithfulness to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Friends, I so hope after we finish with today's episode, you will go to the show notes to click on the link to this song as I've placed it there. Let's all not only hear these words together, but let's sing them back to our Heavenly Father in worship to Him for who He is, promise keeper, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to each one of us. Amen and amen. Okay, friends, please don't forget new episodes come out every other Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe so you never miss one. And if you are loving the show, I'd be so grateful if you take a moment to leave a review. It definitely helps others find us. This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends. Music